I want to talk to you today about the topic, what is spiritual freedom? What is spiritual freedom? And the way I framed our teaching for today is I, I just want to do a short teaching and then at the end of the teaching, just share with you three practical applications, uh, you know, how we can go out and live this out and walk this out. So that's what I'm going to do today. Let me just pray. Lord, I thank you for your goodness in our life. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you for the salvation that you've given us. And uh, we thank you for the cross, everything it means to our lives. We thank you that it was on the cross. You, you conquered captivity, and now we are just free to live a transformed life, God. Thank you for that. There's no greater power in all the earth than the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Lord, we love you, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I want to begin with my first point. My first point is simply, before Christ, all of us have been molded by our past. Jesus said in Luke 4, 18, he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted. And the reason why Jesus said these words is because he knows that we live in a fallen world. He knows we live in a sinful world. And because of it, there are just places that where we have been uh, battered by life, places where we have been broken by life, places where we have been torn and fragmented by life. It just comes with living in a fallen world. And I want to go to our next slide. And because we have been molded by our past, bondages take hold of our lives. You know, bondages like insecurities and captivating fears and, and things like bitterness can take a deep root in our life. Bondages like poor self-image, self-doubt, low self-esteem, hopelessness, a hopeless mindset. You know, I don't think we can even begin to know how many bondages are wrapped around our life and how deep those bondages can go. And we have an enemy who has fed these bondages, even, you know, through people or through circumstances. And as he feeds these bondages, they only get stronger. You know, they become strongholds, which simply means they take a strong hold upon your life. They take a strong hold in your life. And because of it, Satan uses them to dominate our lives. He uses our insecurities to dominate our lives. He uses fear to dominate our lives. He uses struggle with self-image and low self-esteem. He loses, uses all these bondages to dominate our lives. And because Satan knows we have been shaped by our past and because he is the father of lies, he knows which lies to use to keep us in bondage. You know, I'm reminded of the time when Pharaoh was pursuing the children of Israel at the Red Sea. And it says he took 600 choice chariots. It didn't say he took 600 chariots. He took 600 choice chariots. In other words, they were chariots that had been proven to be reliable in battle. They were reliable in battle. And Satan knows which lives have been proven to be most reliable against our lives. You know, when he wants to sink us into the hopelessness of our past and sink us back into a hopeless mindset, he knows, his, he knows which lies to use because they have worked over and over and over again in our life. But 
Point number two. Here's the good news. When we were born again, we were promised spiritual freedom. That when, when we begin to walk with God, God begins to take us on a journey. And in this journey, the Holy Spirit begins to work in our life. And he brings us into deeper and deeper places of spiritual freedom. You know, spiritual freedom is a process because Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32, he says, if you continue in my word, there's, a, there's an abiding, a life abiding in the word of God. He says, if you continue in my word, then you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. You know, spiritual freedom is a journey that we take. I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And this is going to be slide 4. In the book of Ephesians chapter 2, Paul tells us that before we were born again, there were three very destructive forces that were working in our life and shaping our life. They were very powerful toxic forces that we were powerless against and they were determining who we are and what we were becoming. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 Paul writes and you have been made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins where in times past you walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience among whom also we had our behavior in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So right here, Paul tells us that before we were saved, there were three very destructive forces that were shaping our lives. First of all, look with me at verse two again. He says, we're in times past, you walked according to the course of this world. So the world's corrupt ideas were shaping our lives. The world's corrupt beliefs were shaping our lives. The world's corrupt identities were shaping our lives. The world's corrupt understanding of what success is and what failure is and what purpose is. You know, those corrupt ideas of the world were shaping our lives. Look with me again at verse 2. It says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And I want to emphasize according to the prince of the power of the air. So Paul is telling us that before Christ came into our life and gave us a new nature, he's telling us that the very nature of Satan was at work in our lives. He's telling us we were the children of disobedience and the very, the very pride and the very rebellion that was in Satan's heart when he rose up and said, I will put my throne above the throne of God. That very nature was at work in our lives. Simply put, he's telling us that the very DNA of the devil was at work in our lives before we were born again. Look with me at verse 3. It says, among whom also we had our behavior in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. So Paul is telling us that we lived as slaves to our own sinful desires. We were driven to try and gratify our sinful desires. So simply put, when you look at verse 2 and 3, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying before you were born again, the world and the flesh and the devil were working in your life. 
The world, the flesh, and the devil were determining who you were and what you were becoming. And these were things that we were absolutely powerless over. But beloved, here's the good news. You know, when Jesus went to the cross, he destroyed the the captivating power of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And now the world and the flesh and the devil has no more power shaping our life. It has no more power over us. Now, the promises of God and the Spirit of God and the Word of God is shaping our lives, determining who we are and what we are going to be. Beloved, because of the cross, we are free to be transformed. We are free to become everything God has destined us to be. So here's now the question that I want to ask. And the question is, what is spiritual freedom? And you know, I've heard a lot of good definitions of spiritual freedom, but I want to give you my favorite definition of spiritual freedom and explain this. I want to take you all the way back to creation. I want to take us all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and then I want to bring it into the new covenant. So slide five, what is spiritual freedom? Genesis chapter one, verse 26, going all the way back to the beginning, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. So at the very beginning, mankind was created in the image of God. And that word image, remember the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language and the Hebrew word for image is setlam. And it simply means to reflect another. That's what it means to reflect another. So in other words, when God said, let us make man in our image, God was saying, when I look at Adam, I want to see a reflection of myself. When I look at Adam, I want to see my nature. I want to see my character. When I look at Adam, I want to see my heart. So in other words, Adam was to become heaven's mirror. When God wanted to look at a reflection of himself, he wanted to be able to look into Adam and see his heart and his nature and his character. That's what God wanted to see. Now, after creating Adam and Eve in his image, he said something very powerful. Slide six. Genesis chapter one, verse 28. And God said, let them be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And beloved, we really have to capture the weight of what God just said. You see, when God said, subdue the earth and have dominion over every living thing, This is what God was saying. You were created for absolute freedom. That's what he's saying. He's saying there's nothing in the earth that has the power to subdue you. There's nothing in the earth that has the power to take dominion over you. You were created to be absolutely free in every area of your life. There's absolutely nothing in the earth that's more powerful than the breath of God that lives within you. You are to be the most free, authoritative creature in all the earth. That's what the Lord was saying. Now, here's the question. Here's the question we have to ask. Why was Adam and Eve the freest creatures in all the earth? Why? Because they were the only living things created in the image of God. That's why. They were absolutely free in, in, in every aspect of their life. There was absolutely nothing in the earth that could subdue them. Nothing in the earth that could take dominion over them. Because they were created in the image of God. 
Beloved, we, ha we have to make the connection. You got to make the connection. Adam and Eve were the freest creatures, most authoritative creatures in the entire earth because they were created in the image of God. So now we have to transition to new covenant. We've got to make the transition to the new covenant. So the question is, slide seven. What is spiritual freedom? What is spiritual freedom? It is a life being transformed into the image of Christ, who is the image of God. New covenant, that is spiritual freedom. It is being transformed into the image of Christ because he is the image of God. Simply put, brothers and sisters, the more we become like Jesus, the more free we become. That's, that's new covenant freedom. The more we become like Jesus, the more free we become. You see, in this new covenant, becoming more and more like Jesus is our spiritual destiny. Romans 8 verse 29 says, For those who God knew, he has also ordained to be fashioned into the image of his son. So every one of us are living a life of daily transformation. Every one of us, good things, bad things, easy things, hard things, things we understand, things we don't understand. God is using all things to conform us into the image of Christ. And the more we become like Jesus, the more spiritually free we become. See, here's what we need to understand. Slide eight. Freedom is not a concept. Freedom is not a principle. Freedom is not even a theology. Freedom is a person. Freedom is Jesus Christ. You know, I'm reminded of the time Jesus was standing at Lazarus' grave and he said to Martha, he says, your brother will live again. And she said, I know at the last day he shall arise. In other words, she's saying, Jesus, I know the teaching. Jesus, I know the principle. Jesus, I know the theology. I was there when you taught it. But then Jesus responds to her and he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, he's saying the resurrection is not a theology. The resurrection is not a doctrine. I am the resurrection. And the same applies to freedom. Freedom is not a concept. It's not a theology. It's not a principle. Freedom is a person. And it's Jesus Christ. And the more that we become like him, the more free we become. So we are on a journey where we are being transformed into the image of Christ. You know, let's look at it in another way. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the truth. That's what he said. I am the truth. So tr truth is not a principle. Truth is not a concept. Truth is a person. Amen? Would everybody agree with that? Truth is a person. Jesus said, I am the truth. You know, if we had been on the boat that day in the storm with Peter, and, and the, the, the ship is just filling up with waves, if we would have asked Peter, Peter, what is the truth of this situation? He would have said, the truth is, the, the boat is filling up with water, and we perish. But is that the truth? No, the truth was actually sleeping on the back of the boat. Amen. And when they got a hold of the truth, the truth got up and spoke his word. And suddenly the winds and the waves were calm because Jesus is the truth. And beloved, my point is, when we read and study the truth of God's word, we are being conformed to the image of Christ because he is the truth. And the more that we become like him, the more spiritual, spiritually free we become.
So again, what is freedom? It is a life being transformed into the image of Christ. And the more I become like him, the more spiritually free I am. Amen. Amen. Now really praying, asking the Lord, you know, what practical applications can we give them from this teaching? You know, what are a few things that we can apply to this teaching? You know, I believe the Lord has given me three practical applications that I want us to take out of here this evening. So the first one is, and I'm actually going to state them and let you write them down. Okay. So the first one is number one, don't live in the hopelessness of your past. Don't live in the hopelessness of your past. You know, I know, especially when you are a new Christian, it's easy to sink back into the hopelessness of your past. You see, even though we get saved, where we live doesn't change, where we work doesn't change, the people we interact with every day doesn't change, the world around us doesn't change, but you have to remember, you have changed. That's what we have to remember. We've changed. And when the hopelessness of your past tries to creep in and take you, you know, there are three things that we have to remind ourselves of. Three things when we just feel that hopelessness encroaching upon us. Three things we have to remind ourselves of. Number one, your identity has changed. You know, we have to remind ourselves that I am the very son of God. I am the very daughter of God. I've been engrafted into the family of God. You know, the world is always trying to identify us. And there's always people in our past who continue to defy us according to the BC man. You know, the before Christ man, that's just how they remember us and that's how they always try to define us. But we have to remind ourselves of what God says we are and who God says we are. When the world says unloved, God says love that surpasses understanding. When the world says rejected, God says marvelously accepted. When the world says weak and unable, God says more than a conqueror. You know, the Lord says, I know the world has a lot of names it likes to put upon you, but now that you belong to me, let me just tell you some of the names I call you by. Blessed of God, child of God, chosen of God, child of hope, child of promise, salt of the earth, light of the world, man of valor, woman of virtue, my bride, my crown, my jewel, my anointing, my treasure, my friend, my witness, my workmanship. So why are you listening to the world? You know, remind yourself your identity's changed. And if it's a real struggle, if you have a real struggle with your past, then be strategic. You know, if you go into my house, you, you'll find out that my wife has posted sticky notes every, in every room of the house with Bible verses. You know, got to be strategic. I walk in the bathroom, it's full of sticky notes. I walk in my bedroom, full of sticky notes. Walk in my kitchen, full of sticky notes. The only place I haven't found a sticky note is in my shower. You know, be strategic. The word of God is the word of God. Keep it before your heart. Amen. When the hopelessness of your past creeps in, you have to remind yourself, I have changed. You know, the spirit of God lives in me and every day he's changing me. I'm not the same person I was yesterday. And I'm not going to be the same person I am today. 
because I'm living that life of spiritual freedom. I'm living that daily life of being transformed into the image of Christ. It may not look like the world around me has changed, but I'm changing. We have to remind ourselves. And when the hopelessness of your past creeps in, you have to remind yourself, my purpose has changed. I now live for the glory of God. My life has now become a testimony. Where I live, my life has become a testimony. Where I work, my life has become a testimony. The people I interact with every day, my life has become a testimony. Just because I'm here, he is being glorified. Amen. We have to remind ourselves, you know, when our past tries to come encroaching upon us, you know, we have to remind ourselves, my purpose in life has changed. I'm not just here to breathe air and work a job and then grow old and die. I'm here to bring glory to God. <laughs> Practical application number two. Read your Bibles. <laughs> I know I say that every time I come here, somehow that finds a way into my sermon, my teaching. Read your Bibles. Brothers and sisters, I can't even begin to explain to you how this book has changed my life. I don't think the people of God can be encouraged enough to have a life in the Word. I can't even begin to tell you how it has changed my life. You know, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is every time we go into the Word, it's His ministry to reveal truths to our heart that change us from the inside out. That's His ministry. Beloved, just one verse illuminated by the Holy Spirit has the power to tear strongholds in your mind and break bondages over your life. I'm telling you, just one illumination, one verse illuminated by the Holy Spirit and suddenly miracles just begin to happen in your life. Brothers and sisters, true freedom begins with getting God's truth into your heart. It begins with getting God's truth in your heart. That's where transformation begins. And can I just put this to you? It's not truth that transforms your life. It's the love of truth that transforms your life. There are a lot of people who sit in sermon after sermon and hear truth after truth and they don't change. But I'm telling you, when you love truth and when you open your heart to truth, God can do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think according to the power that works within our heart. Amen. Read your Bibles. And I'm preaching to myself. Read your Bible. <laughs> Amen. Let's read our Bibles. And practical teaching number three, learn to encourage yourself in the Lord. Let's learn to encourage ourselves in the Lord. You know what the Holy Spirit told me just this weekend? Tim, you spend too much time listening to the devil's lies. You spend too much time entertaining yourself with the devil's lies. You know, when it comes to living that life of spiritual freedom, when it comes to living that life of transformation, that life of just being changed into the image of Christ, you know, the enemy wants so much to discourage us. He wants so much to get us to quit. 
I don't know about you, but it seems like I battle with lies all the time. You're not changing. Nothing in your life is changing. You battle with the same things you battled with 10 years ago. Tell me why it's changed. I mean, he really tries to come and discourage us. But do you know what I've learned? Here's what I learned. Satan fights the hardest when he feels the most hopeless. Satan fights the hardest when he feels the most hopeless. Well, Pastor Tim, how do you know he fights the hardest when he feels the most hopeless? Well, let me tell you how I know. I was reading 1 Peter chapter, I forget what chapter it is, chapter 5 verse 8, where it says the devil roams about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And as I was reading that, the Holy Spirit asked me a question. Here's the question he asked me. He said, Tim, the enemy is like a roaring lion. Tim, when do lions roar the loudest? Real lions, lions in Africa. When do they roar, when do they roar the loudest? And I knew God wasn't seeking information from me. So I knew he was wanting to speak something in my heart. And I said, God, I don't know when lions roar the loudest. And he says, it's important to know that. So I actually want you to look it up. So I went on the internet and, and looked up all these lion experts, lion, L-I-O-N, lion experts. And I asked him, when do lions roar the loudest? And you know what? They all said the same thing. They all agreed. And I want to tell you something. When you get experts to agree on something, it must be true. They rarely agree on anything. But they all said the same thing. Here's what they said. Lions roar the loudest when they feel threatened. Lions roar the loudest when they captured something in hunting. And yet a stronger predator is encroaching to take their prey away from them. That's when they roar the loudest. And beloved, this speaks volumes. When Satan is roaring his lies in your mind the loudest, it's, be, it's because he feels threatened. It's because Jesus is drawing near to destroy a place of captivity in your life. It's because Jesus is approaching upon him to set you free from a stronghold. That's why he roars the loudest. And you know what else lion experts all say? All of them. You know what they say? They say when a lion roars the loudest, you can hear him up to seven miles away. Beloved, that is loud. In fact, that is deafening. If you're standing next to a lion and he's roaring so loud it can be heard seven miles away, I'm telling you, telling you that is deafening. And when the devil lies, when his lies sound so deafening in your mind, when he's shouting and roaring, give up, quit, you'll never be free, you'll never change. Why do you keep believing? It's because he senses the presence of Jesus drawing near, ready to set you free from a place of captivity. He fights the hardest when he feels the most hopeless. Amen. And my point is, when the discourager comes, learn to encourage yourself in God. It doesn't matter how much the devil roars. God is faithful and every day he's freeing me. Every day he's transforming me. Every day he's changing me. I am on that marvelous journey of spiritual freedom because God is using all things to conform me into the image of Christ. Amen. And that's spiritual freedom.
Amen. Amen. Stand with me this evening. For altar call, I just want to pray with people who are really struggling with your past. You just feel stuck in the hopelessness of your past. You just feel like your past has shaped you. And what could I ever become? What could I ever do for God? I'm just a product of my past. You know what? I just want to pray for you. And I just want to ask God to renew our minds. I want to ask him just to encourage you that your identity has changed. You are changing. Your purpose in life has changed. God is faithfully getting glory out of our lives. Amen. God is faithfully getting glory out of our lives. And I'm telling you, Jesus said it best when he spoke through Paul. Paul said, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that is the testimony written over your life. You may go back to the same house. You may go work in the same place. You may rub shoulders with the same people. But I'm telling you, you have changed. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. God, we have been changed, Lord. Our whole identity has changed. God, we are changing. God, we get up each morning with a purpose in life. And that is simply our lives being being bringing glory and honor to God. And Father, I pray, Lord, my precious, precious brothers and sisters that have made this altar call, God, I'm, I'm just asking, Lord, that you would just wipe away the discouragement of the past. God, I pray that you would write it in their heart. They have a new identity. God, they can't even begin to fathom all the names that you have written over their life. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, a man of valor, a woman of virtue, my crown, my jewel, my treasure, my witness, my workmanship. God, we can't even begin to fathom the names that you've written over our life and the promises that they hold in our life. And God, I just pray that you would just bring them out of this pit of discouragement. God, Lord, you have a plan for each of their lives. You say, I know the thoughts that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a hope and give you a future. God, you're going to use their lives in ways they can't even begin to imagine. And it's because of your faithfulness in our lives, God. Lord, when others may see a shepherd boy, God, you may see a king. Even though life is filled with ordinary things. And in just one moment, he can touch you and everything will change. Because when others may see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Amen. God is faithful.